Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. That's called tikkun olam. When you elevate your human soul to appreciate holiness and godliness, to feel for holiness and godliness, you have elevated the physical to godliness, you've made earth into heaven. And that is the whole purpose for which the soul is willing to spend 120 years in a body on earth. Here's a beautiful analogy. A princess marries a peasant. They go to live on the farm, the peasant's farm. Peasant is very devoted to the princess. After two weeks of marriage, he notices that the princess is sad. He doesn't want to question her, thinks to himself, what could possibly make her sad? And in his peasant, orientation, he assumes that what's making her sad is that there aren't enough potatoes. So he works harder and he brings home more potatoes. She's not any happier. He realizes, silly me, she doesn't like potatoes. It's tomatoes that are lacking. She's sad because there aren't enough tomatoes. So he works really hard, he brings home more tomatoes. She's not happier. So he fixes something in the house, the leak, the road. She's getting sadder. Finally, he loses his patience and he confronts her. He says, what is wrong with you? I've given you everything a human being can possibly want. How can you not be happy? So she says, I was raised in the palace. In the palace, we had the greatest philosophers and teachers and thinkers who came and delivered lectures. It was a pleasure. We had the greatest orchestras, the greatest musicians would come and perform. We had the most exotic plants in the royal gardens. These are the things I miss. I'm a princess. And when I see you trying to make me happy by giving me potatoes, tomatoes, and such, It makes me even sadder, because I realize you have no idea what it takes to make a princess happy. That's the predicament of a godly soul in a body. The godly soul is a princess. The body is a very devoted husband, but it's a peasant. The body feels the soul's sadness. Sometimes we call it guilt, we call it conscience, we call it search for meaning, finding ourselves, really what it is. The soul is unhappy and the body is trying to please the soul. But what does a body know? The body assumes that potatoes, tomatoes and such will make the soul happy. And the soul becomes sadder. So what is the solution? 
when the princess marries the peasant, the father, the king, should send along with the princess little pieces of the palace. Some royal stuff so that on the farm, the princess will feel somewhat at home. She'll feel like a princess. And that's what God does for us. When he sends the godly soul down to earth, he sends along with us pieces of heaven, the mitzvah, the Torah. When we do mitzvahs, we run a home according to Torah. We're importing, deporting, downporting stuff from heaven that keeps us in touch with who we really are. So that even living in the body on the farm, on earth, the soul can feel like a princess and can feel at home. That is the mystery of the soul's coming and going. That is the justification for putting a delicate, sensitive princess into a very indelicate and insensitive condition and place. But in the end, the soul will have proved itself. Every soul has a beneficial effect on its body. The body and the human soul become refined because there's a godly soul there. When you get ten godly souls together, it generates a degree of holiness that allows us to read the Torah, to say certain prayers. It's a collection of souls, and that is an awesome amount of holiness. The Baal Shem Tov said that where there are ten Jews in one room, angels are afraid to enter. This godliness transforms the world. We fix the world, tikkun olam, because the creator of the world has a plan. It's his world. He has a vision of what he would like it to be. And we are his agents and partners in turning the world into his kind of world. A world that pleases him, that welcomes him, so that he can have his home in the lowest of worlds. As a result of our serving God, doing mitzvot, bringing holiness and godliness to the world, the day will come when God will be one and his world will be one with him. But that's due to our efforts. So the soul yearns to go back to heaven, feels uncomfortable, encumbered by a body, but it knows its mission and it is humble enough to accept the mission. So it goes about doing mitzvot. It goes about absorbing the holiness from Torah and then sharing it with his human soul, with his body and with the rest of the world. The soul comes into the body, not suddenly, shockingly, but in stages, in increments. Forty days before conception, the soul is told that it's going to be born, conceived. That's why everywhere in Torah, I don't know if you've noticed this, the angel comes to tell Sarah that she's going to have a child, 
What does he say? This time next year. Now we know that it doesn't take a year. It only takes nine months. Why is it always this time next year? It's because gestation is nine months. But a soul has to be given some time to adjust to the idea of being born. So it actually takes a year. So first the soul is told to get ready. The soul is not thrilled by that idea. To leave heaven? To be constricted into the limitations of a human body? To share that body with a human soul that has human demands? Not an appealing prospect. But if God says, the soul gets ready. That's the first step. Second step, of course, is conception. David Amelech says, and this is really awesome and beautiful, David Amelech says, my mother and father abandoned me and God gathered me in. Ovi ve'imi azavuni. My mother and father abandoned me and God took me in. The Gemara says, David was not bad-mouthing his parents. He wasn't quetching. He was marveling because he remembered being conceived. What is it like? You're this tiny little being, all alone, because your mother and father are sleeping. So the Gemara describes it graphically. The soul looks to the father, he's sleeping. Looks to the mother, she's sleeping. And this soul is going through the most traumatic moment. It's more traumatic than birth. In birth, you just go a few inches from one place to another. This is going from zero to 60. So this tiny little thing, I don't know what it's called before it's even a fetus, is looking around to see who's in charge. Who's babysitting? And the parents are sleeping. So what reassures this conception? God's presence. He remembered being comforted by the fact that God was there when his mother and father were sleeping. In another place, in Tehillim, David says, Even as I go in the valley of the shadow of death, I am not afraid, for you are with me. The Gemara says, what is this valley of the shadow of death and why does he keep going there? Fine, you're not afraid because God is with you. Don't go there. Stay away from these places. And besides, why is David describing himself and we have to read his experience? So the Gemara says, David is talking about every soul that was ever born. Every soul goes through the valley of the shadow of death and that is the birth process. The valley is that blank space between life in the womb and life outside the womb. That's the valley. And it has a little danger to it, so that there's a touch of death there. Life in the womb is wonderful. You're taught the entire Torah. It's being in heaven. 
Leaving the womb is very traumatic. Living outside the womb is life again. So David HaMelech said, how did I survive the trauma of birth? It is so traumatic that it erases your memory of nine wonderful months. It would be much more traumatic if God wasn't there. So how does every fetus born into this world survive that trauma? It sees God present. God is there to see it through the experience. So the valley of the shadow of death is really the birth process. So people who have been through a near-death experience relive their own birth. It's a flashback. Every birth is a near-death experience. And what enables us to survive it? We are conscious of God being there. So every fetus born into this world has had an experience with God. So where does our faith in God come from? We can't prove it. We have no, we have no arguments. We, have, we don't need it. We remember God's presence when we needed him the most at conception and at birth. So every near-death experience, anybody who's been through it, comes out the other end believing. Why is that? Because he's reliving and re-experiencing his own birth. You know, some, some experts say near-death experiences, people seeing themselves in a dark tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's an angel there, all white, urging you to come into the light. You get the picture? You're being born. You're going through a dark tunnel and there's this guy dressed in white or pale green urging you to come out because he doesn't want to get sued. The trauma also brings the memory of the trust and the comfort you got from God's presence. So where does Amunah come from? From having experienced God. Now when the soul leaves the body, it goes through the reverse process. It doesn't leave instantly, completely. It hovers, it doesn't want to say goodbye, so it separates from the body in stages. The moment of death, for three days, seven days, 30 days, a year. The Torah tells us this so that our own existence is expanded greatly. We know what happens even though we can't see it. We can stay in touch even though we can't see it. So our horizons are much broader and much greater. And the world needs to know these things because it's a blessing to know these things. And we, as the Jewish people, have an obligation to be a light to the nations, to share with them the knowledge that comes only from Torah, because we know things that can't be seen. Make sense?